Okay. So now we're started. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> hey, John. Nice to see you way over there. I know. Six feet apart. Beyond the, beyond the prescribed limit. Well, have you ever done something like this before? Cause oh, yes. You have? Yes. When? Yes. Well, I, one, um, I was just, just thinking of this the other day. When I was a French teacher up in New Hampshire, and I was probably one of the few French teachers in that state who was not Catholic and from Canada. Oh. And uh, I was interviewed for a television show for the um, uh, Canadian, French-Canadian television show, local television show. And uh, they, were, they were just very um, intrigued with this really weird... So did you speak in English or in French? Oh, no, it was in French. What? That's yeah. amazing. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I grinned the whole time. <laughs> so when I saw myself later on, I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I look vaguely not right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. But it was fun. Um, so we both work here at Narberth Presbyterian, Presbyterian, and sometimes we run into each other. Well, actually, we don't do a whole lot together, like programmatically. We do no, things right. at the same time in different rooms, but then when we catch each other often here in the kitchen, that's right. it can become 20 minutes easy. Of We, we could start in Narberth Pres and end up in Iceland or... That's Azkaban, true. depending on the day. Right. And uh, I'm always fascinated by your stories of Israel. That's always fun. But I also think we have become a little detached from the Hebrew roots of the Christianity, of Christian faith. And my first thought was interview you about five Hebrew words that everyone should know. And then you tweaked it a little bit and said, how about five concepts? I was like, that's fine. And I already saw that you have a piece of paper there, which is fantastic. But I'm ready to just sit and sit at your feet from six feet apart. <laughs> My feet aren't that big. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's kind of fun. We, we share students because yeah. we're all part of the same church family. But it's true. Um, and one of the blessings, hidden blessings of this pandemic has been that we have shared more because yeah. of um, being part of the same worship service, um, even though I sit halfway back in the empty sanctuary and am an audience of two, if you <laughs> include Colin, yesterday. who's a yeah. quarter of the way back filming. And um, it's, been, it's been a delight, both with you um, and with Danielle. Um, it's mm -hmm. been great. Yeah. So... Well, then let's get started. Sure We're thing. going to shoot for 45 minutes. So hopefully that's about as long as some people take walks right now. That's so right. how about let's get wrangled in. You want to try to do seven or eight minutes for each? Well, it might not end up being quite like that, but I'm sure we can, because this is a conversation that, as you and I both know, has no end. <laughs> um, but this okay. little part of it, yes, sure, we'll fit okay. it right in. Okay. Um, you wanna, I'd like to say something about history. Okay. the history of this congregation. When I came to this congregation, I was delighted to find out over time that about a tenth of our membership at that point um, were people who had been born into a Jewish family. Oh. So Margie Nathanson and a few other people whose names I won't use, but Margie doesn't mind because she's cheering us on from the balcony of heaven. Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, these are people who were Jewish believers in Jesus. 
um, uh-huh. disciples of the Lord, and who were Presbyterian Jewish disciples. Jewish Presbyterian. Of the Lord. Yeah, and um, oh, her blinks, just a, an ordained Presbyterian pastor who was Jewish and um, is now also cheering from the balcony of heaven. These were people, um, uh, just delightful people who brought with them their heritage. And the challenge uh to, in the church, for um, people who are Jewish followers of Jesus, is how to live as who they are. Mm. Uh, Because I think that the paradigm has been in many, many, in most um, iterations of the church. Mm. to say, you used to be Jewish, now you are Christian. Oh. And that has always broken my heart. Because, because never will you see that in the scripture. There's never a part where people are supposed to leave behind their Jewishness. No. Right, in no. the New Testament. Um, Jesus didn't say, I mean, Paul even said, if, if we who are Jews, uh-huh. well, wait a minute, Paul said that, he knew, he, he knew the scoop. Yeah. So I think it's hard for us sometimes to real. just as um, I'm a New Englander, I'm a transplant. Um, I can say I used to be a New Englander, but if I'm really honest, I still am. I'm transplanted, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So if I um, go to live in France, I don't say I used to be an American, now I'm French. Mm -hmm. I'm an American Mm -hmm. living in France. So, I mean, the, you know, don't push that too far because um, all analogies break Analogy, down when pushed yeah. too far or they bite you. And um, <laughs> we don't want either of those things to happen. But this has been traditionally, this has been historically a congregation which has been enriched by diversity that is not always obvious to the eye. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. But if you take the time to get to know people, mm. if you spend time with people, and you listen to people, Mm -hmm. you will learn that there is diversity that runs quite deep in this congregation, Mm -hmm. and it is almost always life-giving. And certainly um, having people who are Jewish believers in Jesus um, is exciting and life-giving. Absolutely. I mean, I I think... It's fascinating to hear about the Hebrew roots, and there's probably, I don't know if this is too much of a broad stroke, but most people probably know the New Testament more than they know the Old Testament as well. And you're probably also uniquely qualified to talk about some Hebrew concepts because, well, you have a doctorate, right? Yeah? In the, in the uh, well, actually in something that is quite Jewish, and that is aid to the poor. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then you also lived in Israel. Yes, I did. Which I don't think, does, do many people from Narberth know that? Is that I public common knowledge? Some people do. I don't know how many people do, because I haven't done a survey, but they do now. <laughs> okay. Well then. And I have been to Israel so many times, I have lost count. <laughs> So yeah, I, I can't don't imagine know how that. many times I've been there. So what, is there an order to the five concepts? They build on each other? What do you have? Um, there's a little bit of an order. Okay, let's um, go. So um, a number of years ago, um, there was um, a lot of tension 
between the Jewish community and um, um, Young Life. In presence this, in, in the, this area? Yes, in Lower Marion in particular. Okay. And so um, the um, rabbi at the time up um, on Montgomery Avenue, mm. um, and the... Um, and the local um, facilitator of Young Life mm. um, got together and thought that having um, a roundtable discussion mm-hmm. for, the, for the community, the Jewish community, um, would be a good way to um, maybe make some things clear that, ha- that were um, confused or just completely misunderstood. Right. <clears throat> and that that could be the beginning of a conversation. I, who had come from New England, where um, I had, I just was part of, I was part of a minority um, group, um, Protestants, Mm. and um, the Protestant kids when I was growing up, and the Greek kids, and the Jewish kids were um, the minority because mm, almost 70% of the population was Roman Catholic and Canadian. So we all were friends with each other. And Uh um, so we had a lot in common and we got to know each other. And I always had Jewish friends. I always had Greek friends. And um, coming down here, um, the community seemed a bit more separate. Mm. And I missed that. I missed being invited to go to synagogue on Friday evening. I missed being asked to seders. I missed those Uh sorts of things. Um, and I just missed the daily interaction with my Jewish friends and mm-hmm. neighbors. And so um, I, I was asked to come and in, this was really funny, in 20 minutes or less, explain Christianity. <laughs> so you're one of the panelists. So I said, yes. So I said. In 20 minutes? Yeah. I was okay. asked by the Young Life person who was part of our congregation at that point. And so I said, well, I'll do that if the rabbi goes first. <laughs> so what's okay. really interesting um, is that because I figured the rabbi would do some of my work for me, right? Oh. So um, since we're people of the book. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there that night, Rabbi Mark said, um, when I was asked to do this, I said I would do it on one condition, and that was if I got to go first. Oh. I looked at him. All right. Oh, this is great, God. Thank you very much. So he did, and he began um, his talk this way In the beginning, God. If you ask me where Jews start, they start where the Bible starts. In the beginning, God. I put my head down because. My talk began, if you ask me where Christians start, Mm. we start here. In the beginning, God. And I said, when Rabbi Mark began his talk, Mm. I could not have known, but God did, where he would start. And he started exactly where God calls all people to start. Mm. In the beginning, God. So that we, that's where we begin. If we begin with anyone or anything else, no matter how good it is, then we have begun in the wrong place. If I begin with me, mm. 
I really get no farther than me, myself, and I and my opinions. So, is the, so this first concept is in the beginning, God. Everything always starts with God. That's right. Not with us. That's right. Okay. And that's that's where, that's where Judaism, okay, begins. Uh-huh. And so um, we begin where it all begins with God. Uh-huh. So that's that's where we start, and that's where um, our Jewish um, uh, forefathers and mothers started uh-huh. and still start. Uh-huh. Um, secondly. Is this the second concept? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because, I mean, you this could talk fun. about the first one. You could write a book I on it. I wanted to go into John 1 then. Well, duh. Yeah. Um, that's, a different, that's a different talk. That's a different okay. talk. Okay. And, oh, by the way, John was Jewish too. Um, so, <laughs> secondly, that um, faith is life. This is a very Jewish faith concept. Faith is life. Faith is life. Sometimes we say faith encompasses all of life, but faith is life. Faith is not a component of life. Faith like a slice is of the pie. Life. Well, I think we often talk about my faith informs my life. That's true. Uh-huh. But if if we're thinking hebraically, faith mm. is life. It is our life because there is nothing that is not related to God. Um, You know, theological nerds might say everything's theological. But, you know, if I said that to my sister, my sister would say, could you please speak English? And I'd say, well, there's nothing in life that is not about God. There's Mm -hmm. nothing in life that God doesn't care about. There's nothing in life where God is not present. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing in life where I get a pass on remembering God, nor do I want there to be. <laughs> but what makes that uh, a particularly Hebrew concept? So we see it as a faith is a lens, but you just said, no, it's, it's more than a lens. In the Bible, uh-huh. in the book, all of life can be boiled down to what God, what God's viewpoint of it is. So Jesus was given a quiz by some seminary professors, let's say, of his oh, day. Okay? That's true. They had PhDs. Uh-huh. Not only did they have PhDs, it was as if they were from Germany where they make you get two before you're actually a professor. <laughs> that's right. Okay? And these experts in Um, the Bible, asked Jesus, what what is most important in life? They put it this way. What is the greatest commandment? Okay, so what they were asking Jesus was, what is the most important thing God has said? Oh. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got and all that you are. Mm. And he said, and by the way, there's something else. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in scripture, how do we even know what that concept of love is? 
we know it because of God. Mm -hmm. And God makes us able to love vertically, to love God. Oh, yeah. And to love horizontally, to love our neighbor, to love the people, not just some of them. (laughs) There's the rub. (laughs) Not just some of them, but all of them. Yeah. And to love them in the way that God loves me. It sounds like you just expanded it from not just faith is life, but faith is loving well. You, that's not an expansion. That's a subset. It's, okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you get if you go beyond life, John? That's true. <laughs> that's I don't right. know what lies know. beyond life. No. <laughs> life. Okay, so in the beginning, God is one. Yes. Uh, two would be faith is life. And that life consists of mm. loving God. Mm. Right. And loving neighbor. Right. And loving the God who loves us first. Because if we go back yeah, that's to the, the in best. the beginning. Oh, that's God, in the beginning. It's like another uh, example of God, that happening. And the next word is created. God created all that is, including <sighs> us, in love. God did not create out of need. God did not create out of um, out of um, compulsion. God yeah. created out of who God is, and God oh. is love. Isn't so, it great? It all. It's not a linear thing. It's it's a it's a circle. It's what my my friend and mentor, Jimmy James D G Dunn. Dunn. <laughs> Jimmy Dunn, I love you. And we'll forever be thankful for him and Mita's kind care, not only for their wisdom, but for their kind care of me and ongoing friendship with. But Jimmy Dunn would call this the circle of grace. You can call Mm. it a circle of love. Uh And that um, in the beginning, God created. Created you and me. Created even the most rotten scoundrel. Yeah. The worst criminal, the most evil person who has ever walked this earth, was created by God in love. Right. Came to live in this world as a tiny baby. And even though something goes wrong with all of us, and with me, probably from the moment I hit oxygen, <laughs> I was feisty and um, naughty. <laughs> But And some people along the way become desperately wrong. But it mm. doesn't matter what degree of wrong there is. Something, something yeah. happens yeah. to remind us that we are needy. And we need mm. beyond ourselves. And that's, you know, that's, that leads me to my next um, Hebraic concept. Can I pause for a moment? Sure. So you just reminded me of a midrash. I forget where I heard it. Um, what about What's, a rash? Yeah, yeah. I know you know what a midrash is. A midrash is a, a playful spinning on a passage, right? That might be one way of saying it. It's okay, yeah. <laughs> um, the opening lines in Genesis 1 are what in Hebrew? Do you remember? I'm sure you do. Bereshit. 
Bereshit. Um, Elohim or Adonai, mm-hmm. bara. Isn't there an et, bara, et? Well, it didn't go beyond that. It was just God created. And et right. is a little placeholder in Hebrew. Right. It's, et it's... ha. Et keeps the, says, here comes a list or here comes an item. Right. A... And the, the Midrash that I read said that like that's a, that's a word that says connection. Something is about to happen and there's, you have to put these things next to each other. Okay. And so I like the idea that in the beginning, God created connection. Okay. I forget the Midrash. It's a placeholder. Yeah, okay. That's cool. Um, I think, you know, because I, I teach language and because that's one, I don't teach Hebrew, but I learned it somewhat enough to make people laugh, usually, <laughs> usually and um, occasionally they understand what I'm trying to get at. But um, et is, like when we say... Um, Um, Mm -hmm. or when we say, for instance, or when we say, first and foremost. Oh, it's a setup for something coming next. It it really is. It's an introduction, which is a kind of connection. Making a connection between um, the origin, you know, the source. Is it like in the beginning, God created the connection between heaven and earth? No. Um, it's the connector is showing you <laughs> who did what. Gotcha. So the little word et mm-hmm. connects the source, the doer. God. And the done. Okay. <laughs> or the creator and created. Okay. Creation. It's, it's kind of cool. So it's not so much about God connected or created connection. It's that the word is indicating there's one to be made between what, is previ- what mm. lies before it and what lies gotcha. after. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to find out where that midrash was. I forget who it was. In. Okay. Third. Okay. So if we think about, um, if we think about this, um, circle of grace, circle uh-huh. of love. Um, a huge concept in um, in the Hebrew mindset, the Hebraic mindset, the biblical mindset mm-hmm. is, and I'm going to use a, a, a Hebrew word yes. now. Yes, John is very. Happy. Is it shalom? No. Oh. No. I like actually your definition of shalom changed it for me. Continue. Okay, it's chesed. Oh, so it's uh-huh. spelled H with a little dot under it, E-S-E-D, chesed. It means loving kindness, mercy, all wrapped up into one. Mercy and loving kindness, all wrapped up into one. I, um, I love chesed. And a tiny, funny story, <laughs> when I was working on my PhD, I studied, um, I, I read and wrote each summer between four and eight weeks at Tyndale House Biblical Studies Research Library in Cambridge, England. <clears throat> and um, I, was, um, I was diligent. Let's just say I was very diligent, and I would get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I would leave there when they banged the gong at whatever time it was at night. I think it was at 10. Ooh. And um, one year I was in the hexagon, so it was a hexagonally shaped 
room with desks around the outside mm. edge and then desks around the central pillar. And I was on the outside edge um, and, and then a little hallway that came down. So if you think of the hexagon as the lollipop and the little hallway as the stick, mm-hmm. if you were looking down the stick at the lollipop, I was on the left-hand side as far to the left as you could be. Okay. <clears throat> so one night, um, I was just doing my thing reading, and I just had my little um, study lamp on, which I mm-hmm. needed to read. And um, I was reading a book um, on chesed. And I was um, trying to just read that section that I needed for my dissertation because um, I was sometimes given to continuing to read things that were really interesting but had very little to do with why I was there in the first (laughs) place. And so I had a little sign on my. computer screen at the corner that said, keep the main thing the main thing, make notes about what you want to read later, but don't you dare read more than you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. reading because you don't have that much time. Right. Okay. I forgot the little piece of paper. I started reading this chapter um, on chesed, in a book on chesed, and chesed as almsgiving, Mm. and I kept reading, and I um, I looked up, and the whole place was dark. And I thought, uh-oh, um, the electricity must have gone. Wait a minute, I have a light on my, my desk, and my computer's working. What's going on? So I stood up, and I looked around, and I realized, oh, my goodness, the whole library is pitch black. Wow. Oh, no. So what time was it? I'm locked in and the door is alarmed. <laughs> you got locked into the library. I looked at, yes. In the I, hexagon. I was so quietly working there and I did not realize that they had banged the gong twice, oh. turned out the lights, set the alarm and locked the door. And there are no bathrooms inside the library. I would not have cared. <laughs> Generally, genuinely would not have cared. So I, I, I thought, what do I do? This was pre-cell phones, people. Uh-huh. What do I do? What do I do? And I thought... This is amazing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, while I was having this thought, the guy who locked the library, who lived across the, the lawn, the mm-hmm. croquet lawn, um, was in his... Um, bathroom brushing his teeth uh-huh. getting ready for bed and his wife said honey there's a light on in the library he said what and she said honey i think i see someone moving in the library <laughs> i think you better go check on it did you check to see if there was someone in the hexagon and he said Oh no, it's Debbie. Oh, he knew it would <laughs> he be came you. came running over in his jammies <laughs> across the croquet lawn, opened the door and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, Did you bang the gong? And he said, Yes, twice. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up giving me the they ended up giving me the um code to the alarm in case that ever happened That's again. That's hilarious. But believe me, it did not. And so um, that, was, that was a big, that was the big joke, that I was so absorbed in my studies and um, 
that I didn't hear a, a Chinese gong. Yeah, they can be loud. Yeah. yeah. And uh, almost spent the night in the library. So, so bringing did... the term residential library to a new level. Right. Um, but it, I was so immersed in this book, wonderful book by a Jewish scholar about chesed, about uh-huh. God's mercy, God's loving kindness, is it and best the to implications say without, like, of that for our own. Is it best to understand it as a, like a hyphenated word, loving kindness, like backslash mercy? Because like you said, we, we put those as two separate ideas. Right. But and they're Hesed actually the same. Them together. Okay. Okay. That any loving kindness we know is because of God's mercy. Gotcha. Which gives us an insight into the Hebraic mindset about God's love. It's always merciful. That it's God's always love. Um, God is love, right? Mm-hmm. And um, God's love is what makes space for or the possibility of Ooh. chesed. Uh-huh. It, it grows out of. I mean, our words are so inadequate. It That's emerges right. from. Um, grows from, like blooms yeah, from. It, it flows from God's, mm-hmm. God, God's love. And so that when we think of mercy, and loving kindness, if we're thinking Hebraically, we don't first think about us. Mm. We think about God. Oh, it's still in the beginning God. That's right. And that if, we, if this is where we begin, and this is how we understand love, and then before we ever get to thinking about our own um, love and mercy, mm-hmm. kindness, that um, we're flat on the floor mm. before God in awe and wonder Yeah. at God's love, God's mercy and loving kindness toward us. So that, mm. that whole concept of being merciful, showing loving kindness, which is at its heart, merciful, not judgmental or um, coming from a place where we think, oh, God's given me so much, so now I can help uh, all these poor people. Which, whether even we that's want to got ignore, some arrogance. Whether we, yeah. but whether we can see that in ourselves or not, it's always there. I, it's in me. I believe it's in all of us because we have a hard time seeing ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, because we want to be the givers. We want to be the helpers. We want to be the merciful. Oh. We want to be the loving, the kind. And inherent in that is a need not to be the one in need. And yet, Inherent in, in that is the need we have to be right. something that only God is truly, and only because God is love. God is mercy, merciful. God is love, shows loving kindness. Only because of that 
can we reflect any of that in our own yeah in our own lives in our own practices and reflect and, is a good word too because a mirror doesn't do a whole lot it just receives and then reflects from a previous source but it cannot reflect what is not shining on it yes Okay, uh-huh. so, or it cannot reflect what it is not absorbing. So think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think not of light, but of heat, uh-huh. things that reflect heat also absorb them. But the things that reflect heat best are those which do not retain the heat, <laughs> which receive it and then pass it on, right? right? There are many ways, uh, many pictures, and scripture paints many pictures of this sort of transmission. Of like a the jar being filled and overflowing. Right. Of rivers of living water. Uh huh. Yeah. Psalm 1. Um, lots, of, lots of images, uh-huh. right? The sun of righteousness and shining and all that. So um, they, all these are Hebraic, they're all from the book, and they're from the part of the book that we as Christians don't always um, recognize as. Um, just as valid, just as life-giving right. as the, um, the New Testament, what we call the New Testament. But I like to tell my students at the seminary, if we were to take out all the references, mm-hmm. direct references, all the allusions and all the pictures and images <laughs> from the <laughs> Old Testament, we would, be, we would have a New Testament in tatters. Yeah. And if we took out all the Jews, uh-oh. We'd, Definitely. We'd have... Very few people left in that book. That that's the uh, the Marcionite heresy. Yes. So many people are going around thinking that the real God is only found in the New Testament. Right. The, the Old the Testament God, is Old the Old Testament God's that mad one. He's really angry all the time. And the New right. Testament one's the one who's full of grace and love. Sorry, folks. Is that Psalm? The God of grace. Uh huh. Is the God who in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a good moment to just do okay. a little plug for Marvin R. Wilson, um, who was never my professor at, well, I was at the Gordon Jewish College. The Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith. Yes. Well, that's a subtitle. So yeah. Our Father Abraham, The Jewish Roots of Our Christian Faith. Dr. Wilson um, was my teacher in an extension course that I took in Manchester, New Hampshire, just before moving to Israel the first time. Uh-huh. And um, uh, love this man who um, loves the Bible. He's just, after like 60 years of teaching, now emeritus um, at Gordon College, and he has been instrumental in um, initiating and um, sustaining a conversation between Christians and Jews about our our shared roots and um, our distinctives. And I love it. And, uh, um, and, a, and a video that's grown out of that is Jews and Christians, A Journey of Faith. And all you have to do is Google that and Just you can Google find either. it. It looks like a great book. It's a great book. It comes with a workbook. Um, I, that was the textbook for the class that I took before I moved to Israel. Oh, so helpful. And, um, and just really, um, well, I, it doesn't take much for me to get going, as you know. Yeah. But um, really, me too. <laughs> a catalyst for um, good things. So. Okay. The book. The Is this Bible. four? Number yeah. four. The book. Okay. 
the, the book. You know, the Jews are people of the book. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the book is the story. And the book paints oh. pictures, provides a path, and promises so that we mere mortals mm-hmm. um, can become aware of and enter into relationship with the God who in the beginning mm-hmm. created the God um, who, because of whom all life is related to God, and therefore faith or relationship with God is life, not a part yes. of it. Yes. Uh-huh. It is life, and life takes its shape according to God's plan in the life of faith. Right. And life is about loving God with all that we have and all that we are and loving our neighbor the way that God loves us. Yeah. And that whatever mercy and loving kindness we see around us, true mercy and loving kindness come from God and are reflected by us. I think... And that calling something merciful Mm -hmm. or kind or loving is not the same as chesed, true chesed. Mm. Yeah. I think... uh, I think it's Abraham Joshua Heschel. He talks about the Bible is a a history of a legacy of awe because he was always about awe and wonder. For him, faith is being in perpetual moments of wonder at all times, which is beautiful. That's like one of the best definitions. But what I thought was interesting is just now you you actually started off by saying story the bible is the story of god and with these people but i think as i relate with some of our young people there's always difficulties that arise from what i just think is there's a confusion of what the genre of what the bible is and it's a library of course so there's multiple genres but a lot of people approach the Bible without thinking it's primarily story. I think because somewhere along the line, a lot of us picked up the idea that everything in the Bible is prescriptive. It tells us what to do. Prescriptive. It's like a, a sometimes people call it um, uh, an, um, an owner's guide to life. Like it's a guide, uh, it's a... No, that's not the right word. What do you call it when well, you get prescriptive seemed like it was good. What do you get when what do you get what do you call the book when you get a dishwasher and it tells you The manual? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And of all the words I think we could use to talk uh-huh. about the Bible, I don't want to call it a manual. I want to call it Oh. I want to call it God's story. And we find ourselves within that story. Mm-hmm. That begins with God. Right. And, by the way, ends with God. And never in between those two poles, those two ends. Yeah. 
never the alpha be- and the omega. The beginning and the end. Is there a even a um, just a teeny tiny little teeniest little thing that does not have to do with God and 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 in which God is not present, but that to to call the Bible a manual, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a roadmap for life, is to foster this image of the Bible as prescriptive primarily. Yeah. That it's about telling us what to do and what not to do. Where the Bible, I think, is 100% descriptive. Okay. And it is intermittently prescriptive. And that every prescription falls under the heading of loving God with everything you've got (laughs) and all that you are. Uh Uh-huh. And if we're there, then what we do and what we don't do, which can be found in the book, not as an exhaustive um, supply, but as a, um, a descriptive mm. supply of do's and don'ts. Yeah. For instance, anytime you get a list, at the end of that list ought to be something that the Hebrew that the Hebrew language didn't have that said, you get the picture and stuff and oh, really? things like this. Oh, I have seen that. So when uh-huh. you get that in the New Testament too, with, you know, Paul was really good with these laundry lists of, yeah. you know, you get the picture. Need I go on? Of course not. You're smart. Use your brain. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Which so, sounds like a good rabbi. Yes, it does. So, um, when we read about, for instance, um, Jephthah, mm-hmm. who made a really stupid promise to God, mm-hmm. and we read that, we are rightly bothered by that. But are we bothered with Jephthah? Maybe. But we're always bothered with God. Mm. How could God want that? Well, if you read the story, God did not want that. God did not ask uh-huh. that of Jephthah. Yeah. Jephthah said, I know what I'll do mm-hmm. so that I can guarantee that I will succeed. I will promise God that the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to him if he gives me the victory. Right. God did not ask that of him. That is not a prescription. That is a cautionary tale. Mm. Jephthah's daughter took her father's vow very seriously. Mm -hmm. And it cost her her life. That is just, that is a cautionary tale. It doesn't mean this is something God wants you to do. If anything, it means, hey, if you, if you think you have to bribe God to act on your behalf right. by doing something good or religious or holy, watch out. And I'm saying that to me. Is this, um, so the Greek word is Sophia. Is the Hebrew word hokma? Is that so, so wisdom? Yeah, it's one right? of them. I feel as though there's a lot of parts of the Bible, like you said, 
most people think it's prescriptive telling us what to do and actually it's just describing things but i feel like it's not just describing things that's it's right. always that's... describing things sometimes it's prescribing things but wisdom is in there more often than people think and prescriptive th- comments it's they the... don't let you have your own wisdom it's i'm thinking what the bible is and what we are okay uh-huh. the bible is 100% descriptive it's always describing something or someone okay, okay whether okay. it's god or us or uh-huh. you know, some aspect sometimes of in story reality sure. but it's always describing but it's not always saying go thou and do likewise that's so that where the rub is this is okay. you know and if you ever saw the um that old show that was um the waltons yeah the mom would um or the grandmother at night would just fling open the bible or when there was an argument or something, she'd fling open the Bible and she'd pluck her finger down and she'd read the verse and she'd say, that's what we need to do. Well, that's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. So because the Bible is, is not 100% prescriptive, not everything in the Bible is telling us what to do in the sense of saying, do what this, per- what this person did was good. Do it. You can do it too if you're a godly person. Uh-huh. That leads to saying that some people get a pass on things that mere mortals like you and I don't. Mm. And this has led through history, Christian history, to horrible abuses. Yeah, absolutely. Just, we don't want to say any examples because then we're leaving out most of them. But that. When, for instance, when we look at David, a man after God's own heart, right? Yeah. Some people have taken that to mean that when David did horrific things... He was still after God's heart. That's right. Yeah. What was it that made David a man after God's own heart? It wasn't those actions those attitudes, those words that resulted in him being alone, isolated. In hiding, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm, I'm way at the end of the story here. Oh, okay. Alone, isolated, alienated from his children and grandchildren, having only a paid caregiver for company, he didn't experience that end of life because of the things that caused him to be described as a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. His life ended very sadly in isolation mm. because of his sin. Mm-hmm. His sin which he repented of, I think. Yeah. I don't know that he repented of all his family saying, God knows. God knows. But he, he was a man who, when brought up short and confronted with his sin, went belly up yeah. before God. He recognized, he admitted, he repented. That's why he's called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. 
I believe. He's a man who wanted to love God and who, when he messed up, admitted it. Now, if we're honest, we want to do that. But there are probably things in our lives that at the end of our lives we will stand before God and, you know, I don't think whoops is the appropriate word. (laughs) But we will be whoops, don't we, when we think, oh, right. I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. Forgotten in the sense of never said sorry. Never repented. Never asked forgiveness. you, You can't be human and not have things that we forget to be sorry for. Yeah. But when made aware of them, or even before we're aware of them, saying, God, I know there are parts of me that I can't even see, but you can. Mm-hmm. Please help me not to propagate those, not to uh, nurture those. Uh-huh. But when I become aware of them, please be kind, <laughs> be gentle, and please help me see them. And help me want you more than I want them or more than I want to um, deny or run away mm-hmm. from them. Because with you, God, there is life. And I right. want that, and that life. And that, that is passive. the life I, I want to live in more and more fully. All of those things are deeply Hebraic. Yeah. They're deeply Hebraic. And so the book, which is always descriptive, sometimes prescriptive, Sometimes says yeah, do it. Sometimes says don't do it. I love it in um, in the Greek in the New Testament that where, where we have these um, uh, what we call prohibitions, saying no, uh-huh. no. There's more than one kind. There's the kind that says uh, stop it. Enough already. Mm-hmm. Stop. Which means you've been doing whatever it is. <laughs> and then, by the way, we're at quarter of now. Okay. Then there is the kind of don't even think about it. So in New England, in New Hampshire in particular, or New Hampshire, there <laughs> are signs on barn doors because houses often have a barn, a small barn attached to them, and that's oh. where you put that's where you put the um, uh, the tractor. Or now, oh, of course, that's where you put your car, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And then there's the real barn. So. Because of that, that's where the cars park. You know, they, they, you drive in the little driveway from the road. And so um, many of these houses, um, there's, there's always a house like that, like across the street from the church, because that's where the pastor lives. Mm-hmm. Okay? And um, very often on the door of that little barn attached to the house is a sign that says, don't even think about parking here. Jeez. So the idea is that before someone commits that sin, yeah. they're warned. This is not for you. Don't even go there. It's very instructive. You can't see that in the English, but you can oh, see it in the Greek. Gotcha. And so when your pastor goes to seminary and um, takes Greek class um, with me, they are reminded <laughs> that whenever they see a prohibition in Paul's letters or in the Gospels, mm-hmm. Or in John, that in John's writings, that 
you should always go and check to see how that's set up in the Greek to see whether you can kind of get a little insight into were they doing that? Oh, that's interesting. Or were they asking about that? And Paul comes back and says, no, that's don't funny. go there. And there's, there are both of those there's in both Scripture. Of them I love it. I love it. It makes you, makes you a little bit um, uh, curious. So, and if you don't have the Greek, you can go to a commentary and see if they even thought to go there. Uh-huh. Um, some people do, some people don't. Depends on what the commentary's mm-hmm. reasons for writing Objectives were. Are. But I love it. I love it. That yeah, the original languages always helps to flesh out. It's almost like sometimes the passage becomes 3D and in color then. That's right. Yeah. They, it gets, it's like stereo, which, you know, stereo, yeah. for those of you who live in the digital age, stereo means strengthening. So that back when um, uh, surround sound came out, Dolby stereo and all that, uh-huh. it strengthened the sound and the quality gotcha. of the sound and, the, the, and then surrounded you with it. So all of this can be summed up as... Um, oh, this is five. That faith... Uh-huh is born in the heart and is nurtured in the community. So faith... So it's both private and public. No, personal. Is that what you mean? Pers- oh, sorry, personal. Private's different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, faith is born in the human heart, and it is nourished, nurtured, gotcha. and grown in community. In community. So that question of can you be a believer on an island alone by yourself, it... That's a silly question. It's, 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 maybe we're asking the wrong question. Uh-huh. What is the nature of faith is a good question. Because the fact is that if I were in isolation, I would still be a person of faith. Mm. Because faith is never a matter of me alone, because faith, by its very nature, involves two people, two participants, Mm. God and Debbie. So faith is born in the human heart. It is the gift of God. It always has been. And it is nurtured, nourished, grown in community. The community. I like that you use the word grown, not built. Because have you heard this like current um, vocabulary of deconstruction, reconstruction? That some people have to deconstruct parts of their faith. I don't like that because it it makes faith into a building, an inanimate object to be taken apart and reassembled like Legos. And faith is not mechanistic. I don't like it. Life is not mechanistic. Mm -hmm. When it becomes mechanistic, then it's no longer life. It's a process. And um, life, while it involves process, is not only a mechanical process. That's that's lowest common denominator thinking, and Scripture does not go there. Yes. Um, And so I love that um, you're doing these things. And another Hebraic concept that um, sort of um, says, keep, keep going, is that study is w- worship. It's that oh, that resonates with my heart Hebrew so much. Mind, 
that study is worship. When study is an activity or study is a means to a goal, it ceases to become wor- it ceases to be worship. That when when study is worship, things will happen. Mm. Things will be learned. Right. Stuff will change. We will change. Uh-huh. But that study is first and foremost a way is is a means of worship. It is worship. Study to show yourself approved mm-hmm. unto God. That um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mm-hmm. with all your might. And all of that is enriched, obviously, by exploring more of the Old Testament. Yeah, or the the Hebrew the first scriptures, Testament, the first Testament, yeah, I've Hebrew heard that one Bible, too, or the Tanakh. Ah, the Tanakh, or the Law. Because it's interesting that what we think of as the first five books, right. or just the Ten Commandments, um, actually the law was used to talk about those things, but it was also used just to refer to the Bible. The Torah as a whole? Yeah. Yeah. The law, the prophets, the writings. I love it. Yeah. So, and so nickname, the law. <laughs> and I think we're there, because I have to go yeah. to, a, to a faculty meeting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This I mean, I knew great. it was going to be fun anyways. Well, it's been a highlight of my day so far. Well, it's it's one of the many highlights of my day, That's which good. has been packed with them. Yeah. And um looking forward to what God has in store next. Would you be willing to do five Greek concepts at some point? No, because I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's a, that's a different conversation. Okay. Well, we'll talk about what that, that means okay. in uh, the get-together again. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you.